welcome to the Hot Copy Podcast, a podcast for copywriters all about copywriting. We know that many copywriters love the idea of writing copy for charities and not for profits. It's a way of using our copywriting superpowers for good. But what are the challenges of working with charities? Should you charge less? Should you charge more? What are the differences between writing copy for charities and regular clients? In today's episode, we've got experienced charity copywriter Andrea Rowe on the show to answer all these questions and more. So stay tuned. Hi, my name's Kate Toon. I'm a copywriter, the founder of the Clever Copywriting School and the Recipe for SEO Success e-learning hub. With me is my co-host in sunny San Francisco, Belinda Weaver. Hi there. My name is Belinda Weaver. I am a copywriter. My business is called Copyright Matters and I created the Copywriting Masterclass course. And today we're talking to Andrea Rowe. Hello, Andrea Rowe. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. Uh, we're going to read out your bio now, Andrea. Get ready for it. You wrote it, so you should know what it's, what's coming. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, Andrea is a copywriter and campaign strategist helping not-for-profit organizations and social enterprises increase awareness, attract supporters, and retain donors. She helps coastal and government organization organizations create engaging words and identify tactical approaches for PR and fundraising campaigns, digital and website content, and community report and grant writing. Wowzers. So let's get stuck into the episode. Lovely to have you here, Andrea. So you've been uh, working with um, charities and not-for-profits uh, for quite some time. Can you can you tell us the types of clients we're talking about? Who, who have you worked with? Sure. Well, charities and not-for-profits are essentially created for the public good. So they're relying on the goodwill of their communities. And we could be talking about an organisation that's uh, addressing challenges that are faced by the environment or humanity or raising money for research uh, or raising awareness on health impacts. So I've worked with organisations like the Royal Flying Doctor Service of Australia, uh, Conservation Volunteers, People and Parks Foundation and the Luke Batty Foundation, to name a few. Awesome. Wow. Yeah. Bill, Bill, have you worked with many charities? Oh, not. it's not. It's something I've dabbled in a few years ago, quite a few years ago actually. Um, I did some letter writing for the Australian Conservation Foundation, you know, when the carbon tax was coming in. Yes. Um, so they, I did a lot of letter writing for them around the carbon tax stuff mm. and and some for Urella Early Childhood Services. And I got that work through a contact and then we kind of fell out of contact a little bit, Not no bad blood or anything, mm. but it was just one of those relationships that just kind of ended, you know, and she moved on and, and then I went on to different projects. So that was my only experience in it. What about you, Kate? Yeah, I've done not so many big charities. I'm actually trying to think. I, I can't remember any of my clients. I've got the brain of a slug. But I've done a lot of um, small local charities. I actually do one pro bono job a year and I pick a – I go out to local charities and help them, like, rewrite their websites and, and, and do sales letters and things like that. So mm-hmm. not many of the big boys but more of the smaller guys um, I've helped out. So, yeah, I'm not, not something I'm hugely experienced in. So it's great that we've got you here, Andrea, today to answer all our questions. It is, and the small guys matter just as much too as the big boys too, though. Yeah, they do. Well, Andrea, what what are the key differences would you say between 
charity and not-for-profit copywriting and, in air quotes, regular commercial copywriting. Because I think, you know, Kate and I have talked about different types of copywriting before and it's very easy for us to go, do you know what, I think when you have the foundation stuff there, it's all the same thing, but is it? Is it different? Look, the foundation stuff is very similar. I think the main difference is that charity copywriting really can change lives, so the emotional outcome might, might be slightly different. And the copywriting, your the the end game message that you're sharing really can lead to a change in behaviour or, or a change in in society as well. It's it's essentially cause marketing, uh, the messages that you're sharing in charity and not for profit campaigns. You're calling on people. I think the main difference is that in terms of the call to actions, you, you're really calling on people to make a connection to give something and contribute instead of making a purchase and taking something away. So that's, I think when it comes down to it, that's the major difference. Nicely Um, put. Thanks. (laughs) I do think though... Uh, the other difference is it's all grab the heart stuff and um, you're often communicating with people that have maybe already made some connection with your product or your cause, you know, rather than product. We're talking about a cause. So for me probably the other big difference is is really the people you work with, uh, with social enterprises and charities, not-for-profit folks are genuinely passionate and committed about uh, the organisation. So you haven't got someone just turning up in a job. You've actually got people who it's almost an authentic vocation for them and they're really dedicated. So it's actually, it's a very passionate environment to work with. You probably hear it in my voice, but that's what I think is one of the major differences anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say a lot, of, a lot of small businesses are pretty passionate too. I don't know. I think, uh, but, you know, I get what you're saying that, you know, that you're you're doing something that you truly, truly believe in um, and that you hope will make change in the world. Um, I guess mm. an interesting point then is if you're doing this because you're passionate about it and you want to make changes in the world, do you charge less for working with charities? Uh, you know, because, you know, there's this attitude that every penny that they spend on you is money being taken away from the people who could ultimately benefit in the end. So do you have a different rate for charity copywriting? Do you offer them a reduction? I, I get asked that a lot and it really is a common assumption that you shouldn't be making money or you don't make money if you work for not-for-profits. People ask me all the time. Uh, and, look, the larger not-for-profit organisations, the more established ones, they run like a business. They, they have budgets. They have expert staff um, who are familiar with working with consultants and agencies. They need to spend money to earn money as well. Um, so, you know, if, if, they're, if they're not coming to me for me to charge and they'll be going to someone else, that's for sure. So, um, uh, certainly I don't have a – I have a very, very – um, I guess uh, for me, I'm quite realistic and I target my prospects really carefully in terms of who who I'm working with to earn an income from. Um, I don't charge any, I don't have a different schedule of rates for not-for-profits. However, I have uh, occasionally with some pitches had a give back a big give back arrangement or a give back fee with some of my pitches and contracts where I, I've actually contributed a component of my fee to the cause or oh, the I campaign. Um, and I'm I'm a bit like you, Kate, in that I have one or two pro bono clients a year and I basically say the door shut then this year and talk to me next year and I'll see how that sits, that sort of thing. So, But 
you know, look, I'm not, I'm not going to say that in the early days I didn't experiment with reduced packages and not charging GST and, um, you know, saying, well, I won't charge you for the meetings and things like that. But at the end of the day, I have to earn a living as well. Um, and I'm always really careful with saying to the client, if you need me to attend these meetings, you'll get this service from me. Um, and however, this is the end, um, the end fee that it will cost you as well. So I think the established not-for-profits, it's a very familiar, um, uh, you know, it's a very familiar tune to them. They're, they understand how this works. I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think I like to keep the two things very separate. So when I've worked with charities, either I do completely pro bono or if it's a larger charity, then I will charge my regular rates. And then I, you know, then I make my own donations to charities that I want to donate to. So I keep it completely separate. I donate okay. because my income every year to, to charities and, and keep that separate. But that's interesting to know. But do you think, I guess another question here is, you know, you don't offer a reduction, but do you think that uh, charities pay uh, the same rates as, say, commercial enterprises, you know, so are they, or do you think there is an expectation that you, you do charge, that the rates for charity copywriting are slightly less, for example? Certainly the larger organisations, they charge exactly, they charge a very comparable rate. Um, a lot of the larger organisations also work with agencies, so they're used to paying agency fees. That's the more established ones. Um, some, some of the clients that I work with are also a little bit smaller, so they only have sort of very small budgets. So we sort of work within the parameters in terms of well, what do you need to achieve what could we provide, what can I provide with you, uh, for you um, on that budget? So, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm juggling quite a few not-for-profit apples <laughs> from the fruit basket to actually, you know, make my income uh, um, uh, match what I need it to each year. But, um, no, the larger organisations certainly have quite established budgets. That's That was my experience, actually. I, I worked through um, an, a marketing – agency that's that specifically worked with non-profits so for me it was just a regular work quoting process it was you know straightforward prices and it was just approved you know like it's like it often is when you go through an agency so that was my experience but you know I think when you're talking about negotiating scope to do um to match budget that's something mm -hmm. we do with with clients who who don't have a high budget anyway so that will sound familiar to a lot of our listeners Exactly. And I know a lot of people tend to package up services as well. So it, it's not uncommon um, in the not-for-profit sector as well. So I think there's some great similarities there. Mm. Now, like the, the stuff I've had ex my brief little experience in non-for-profit writing was super long charity letters and I've received a lot in the post and I think that's exactly what I think of when I think of non-for-profit writing. So, in your experience, is, is this kind of long copy and direct mail just more effective for non-profits? You know, it's really funny because a lot of people I speak to often say to me, oh, do you write those long letters I get from the Salvation Army that come into my <laughs> letterbox and things like that? So everyone always rolls their eyes. But the funny thing is the statistics show that the three to five page letter or the four page letter formula, it's really called, is really effective. It's statistically really effective with the more mature donor who might have already had a relationship with an organisation. Um, and this long copy and direct mail, it's a very donor-centred approach and it's a, 
it's a key tool that's been used for, for years with donor acquisition and, and, and cultivation. Um, there was a guy back in the 1800s, um, Dr Thomas Bernardo, who a lot of people have heard of, and he was the Victorian era's great philanthropist, and he was really well regarded in executing the campaign of the long letter. And things really haven't changed since the 1800s, I must say. Um, oh, wow. They may look... They may look laborious and long, um, and sometimes they even look a little messy. You know, when you get all that different font and bold font and then this sentence that seems to go on forever. But their results really are, are anything but. Um, to many to many donors who do get the letters, they actually aren't annoying. They're, they're really a connection to a cause they might already care about. So you'd be really surprised um, how well they do. There's a guy called Jeff Brooks you might have heard of. He, he's um, written a lot on the fundraising guide to irresistible communications and things like that. And and he talks a lot about the, this formula of the, the four-page letter. I think there's some famous quote that he used to have about, um, uh, it was something about fundraising, that, uh, you know, the, this, this fundraising formula should tell this story. And um, so a lot of the formulas of these super long charity letters are about um, having multiple triggers in the copy. Um, so the more messages there are, the more, me- more triggers you can include. Mm. Um, it kind of recognises that some readers are, uh, you know, they skim and they bounce backwards and forwards. So there's a lot of um, maybe skimming over a complete section uh, and then narrowing in on one or two sentences. Um, there's also some, um, there's a theory that, oh, this is a long letter, this must be important. Um, I mean, to be honest, I sometimes get those and I think who has time to read the four-page letter? But um, a lot of donors simply enjoy reading and this the stats have shown that the words bring them pleasure and an increased connection um, and an increased chance to be more receptive to the appeal. So there's this sort of long fundraising message um, formula that sort of talks about the the introduction, the ask, the impact of your gift, the dem- a story that demonstrates a need, reminding the donor of their values and the connection with the cause, helping them visualise and then asking and asking and asking again um, so that then in conclusion, you've sort of wrapped them up in this story, so um, which is a little bit like this answer that's gone on. <laughs> but, um, it's good though. I, it's that sort of a it's that sort of a formula, which is actually quite a hook. I love the the idea that the formula that is right up my alley. We've just done a you know before Christmas we had a pod on copywriting formulas, and I just love that kind of structure that gives you some sort of certainty. It feels a bit less wibbly wobbly because you know when you have to write five or seven thousand words in a letter, it can just become a bit of a tangle. Exactly, and I think if you if you get a lot if you go to your letterbox and you put about four or five of those letters out on your desk, you'll see that repetition that formula come out quite quite clearly the message is obviously um, a slightly different but the formula is there that repetition's there and I think the thing about the long letter that there's been a lot of research done is that long letters really help resonate with people's individual values they're, so they're really an effective way of capturing um, the attention of people so that they can sort of really consider what their values are um, you know how they can spend how their do- dollars will be will impact upon a cause um, so they work really well with sort of getting in under the skin and they do work really well not a, not necessarily with the millennial giver but certainly with the um, 55 plus giver um, who might have already had a relationship they're just a fantastic um, um, acquisition and continuation tool. And let's be honest, they've probably got more money. 
Yes. <laughs> and, you know, now, you're, now you're seeing they're inserting things into the long letter as well. So you're not just getting a four-page long letter. Then you're getting a little card. You may be getting a little at Christmas time. I got a lot of them because, of course, I subscribed to a lot of them. Um, you know, there's a lot that come in that might even have a Christmas tree decoration as well that you can send back or, you know, remind yourself of your donations. So, and it's quite a commitment. This is what fascinates me with the long letters is you're asking someone to go from a paper letter to then go online to donate yeah. or write a check because organisations are still getting checks. Um, and that's quite a commitment for someone to make that step. But you're still seeing the 60 plus age bracket make that commitment. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I don't know what happens with charities, but I think they must share their databases because as soon as you sign up to one charity, you get letters from everybody. And at Christmas, I was uh, sent tea towels and all manner of, oh. of things to guilt me into donating. You know, there's the reciprocity. We just gave you a tea towel with our logo on it, so you really ought to donate. Yes. Which I found yeah. very heavy-handed and, and kind of unpleasant and actually had the opposite effect on me and made me not want to donate. So, And, and it is, yeah, it is. Sometimes that gives bad a bad rap to the charities that are actually working really hard and doing, you know, having a lot of integrity or dignity behind their campaigns, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about long letters as being one tactic that charities use to lure people in. Obviously, a, a recent phenomenon, maybe the last 10 years or so, are the so-called charity muggers who you meet in the high street who stand there with their clipboards. Have you ever been involved in writing uh, scripts or, 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 or briefing those kind of people? How does that work? Just a little, and it's actually funny. I just got briefed the other day on a New Year campaign I'm working at to refresh um, an organisation's uh, the public's view of their work. So chuggers or charity <laughs> muggers, as they're called, um, they're, they're, of course, the face-to-face -face fundraising um, stream. And, look, face-to-face -face fundraising is, is all about speaking one-on-one -on -one with potential donors about a charity um, with the intention of having that sort of reoccurring um, donor acquisition from them. It's had a bit of bad press, certainly in Australia in recent times, um, where charity advocates approach people in the street and sort of perhaps almost hound them. So, uh, the organisations that do take on face-to-face -face do it, you know, there's been a lot of revision in the Australian climate, certainly in recent times. So, a good script, I mean, it's a really interesting thing. You can have a script, but then you can have the person that delivers the script and there's, you know, a lot can get lost or can be gained in between that area. But a good script really shouldn't be about flogging a product. It should be about including copy that speaks to a person's needs and desires. And it's really interesting. I have this conversation with people a lot because to, to establish that connection, it's about you've got to make an assumption as the face-to-face the, the -face marketer when you're approaching that person, but then you've got to find space in that script to actually listen and understand that person, you know, so there's feeder questions, you know, about, you know, do you have kids or, you know, that sort of thing. So some people find that very invasive. Some people have actually got time to have a chat and talk. Um, it's, it's yeah, I haven't had a lot of experience, but I, I've had a little bit, which, you know, there's sort of a bit of a cultivation um, uh, scaling up and scaling down with, you know, uh, the friendly greeting, talking about what your organisation does, demonstrating the mission, um you're sort of getting into that why you, why me sort of messaging um, and keep that that connection going and sort of reading someone's motivation. Um, 
I'm I'm about to sort of jump in on one in the next few few weeks. So I'm really interested to see how that's going to evolve um, for the organisation as well. It's new ground for this organisation to go into. So it's kind of a conversation, but it, it, you know, it's about having training to match that conversation as well. But the, the organisations that take it on, they found it really effective in cementing a relationship for ongoing pledges. So it's clearly working, certainly in the Australian landscape, it, it's been working um, even with some sort of, you know, rocky areas for people. It just seems like a bit of a spray and pray way to get your message out. Like it's a numbers game. It is a numbers game. You're right. And I read some some uh, a report the other day saying it's a numbers game that's paying off very well for the millennial market, um, uh, which I'm interested to keep an eye on. I don't know too much about it, but um, uh, that millennials are very receptive to having that conversation. Whereas, um, I mean, you know, if you're like me and you're in your, your mid to late 40s and you're racing into the supermarket, the last thing you want to be, you know, to be done is sort of corralled into a corner and asked to give. But in saying that, um, effective scripts work really well. Um, and I have once or twice found myself signing up for things because I thought, actually, well, that, that makes sense. I've had a good conversation with that person. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it is a numbers game though. What about charity videos and, and TV ads and stuff like that? Have you What, what tips could you share there? Oh, I love them. Um uh, look, the ones I've worked with are more reflecting on the history. Working with an organisation like the Royal Flying Doctors, like it's 90 years old this year. So there's some lovely copy that's it's very nostalgic and emotional um, and it really tugs at the heartstrings. I'm a bit of an emotional person, so I love that. Um, and a lot of the, the charity videos are about thanking the community and recognising the journey you've been on together. So there's a lot of a lot of emotion there. Um videos work really well for existing donors because sometimes donors have a hard time explaining to their friends what their donations are doing. So videos are really good about helping bridge that gap and you as a donor making your actions shareable. So I enjoy writing the copy that helps a donor explain themselves to their friends and helps them strengthen their relationship. So a lot of the times when I'm working on those scripts, I'm briefed at the same side time as the videographer. Um, um, I had quite a few last year where, you know, they had the creatives in the same, the photographer or videographer and the talent in the same room at the same time. So at that briefing stage, my tips are make sure you're listening, make sure you're asking lots of questions about who are we speaking to? What's the campaign's lead time? Um, what are the visuals going to look like? Um, who are the talent going to be? And are they real talent? Um, usually they are real people within an organisation. Um, what language do they speak? Um, are there testimonials that um, I can get a hold of so I can hear the language that people use, um, the donor's language as well as perhaps the volunteer's language? Um, and what am I driving people to do? Uh, am I sending them to a landing page? Am I asking them to sign here? Um, yeah, those sorts of messages. Um, and a, a lot of this is about helping you weave it into the copy to help authenticate that campaign voice. Um, a lot of times the TV campaigns are about actually going back to some fairly historic messages that have been around forever. You just have to look at things like the Fred Hollows Foundation, um, they've been using the same messages for years and years and, you, you know, their figurehead is a man who's who's no longer alive but he has a lot of regards. So they're still using old, um, uh, you know, old audio of his voice as well but um, people um, respond to it and respect it. 
Yeah, talking about uh, those messages and, and how you communicate them, obviously a lot of charity copywriting is about trying to invoke emotion. It's about trying to tug on our heartstrings and essentially, not to put it, you know, maybe a little bit bluntly, but trying to almost guilt us into donation. Um, but how do you avoid doing that in a you know che- a cheesy way? How do you avoid being pushy or over melodramatic? How do yeah. you strike that balance? Yeah, and it is. It's a really hard tightrope to walk. Um, I mentioned Jeff Brooks before, and he's this quote about fundraising that works is emotional. It's simplistic, blatant, corny, and soupy. And it is, you know, getting emotional really does work um, because causes matter and people don't want to turn away from them. It's It's how I step away from being pushy is about using the gratitude message consistently. So I've just finished a a campaign last year with a not-for-profit where we talked, we kept making sure we were thankful in the messages. So thanking the community, even if they weren't involved yet, thanking them for being a part of this journey, which is making a difference. And, And without getting too soupy or syrupy, you know, things like data and statistics work very well because you can't deny the data. You can't deny the stats about, you know, X amount of children die in this situation in this year. So sometimes the hard and fast data, I mean, it still tugs at your heartstrings. Um, uh, but, you know, this, there, there's sort of a bit of a formula in this message. Um, people... Uh, you know, people want to give. Emotions do rule with fundraising. Um, so that sort of does underpin a lot of the messages. And even though it does come across as syrupy, um, you know, people aren't giving to your organisation. They're giving through your organisation, whichever not-for-profit it, it is that you're writing for. So it's just about sort of thinking about, okay, what are the staged messages I can, I can share here? Um, is it about statistics? Is it about um, taking a global issue and thinking you know, small um, in terms of, you know, $25 will feed Francis or something like that. Um, it, yeah, it, I think that's a, that's a very proven, powerful way of actually taking the sum of money and talking about the difference it will make and giving those graded, you know, $10 gets you a goat, $15, you know, that, that helps people relate. I have to apologise, tra- crazy... <laughs> Can you hear Crazy Chainsaw Guy? Oh, can I can. Oh, is that who it is? <laughs> he's back. I don't oh, know. He's, he's um, out there. I wish I, someone would donate some earmuffs for me. He's driving me crazy. Oh. I apologize. And, and um, organisations like Kiva do that really well. Um, if ever you want to see how an organisation, you know, just owns it, I think Kiva does a great example of it. Um, but I think just keeping away from... You know, it's a fine line, and I think not being overly dramatic, um, melodramatic, sorry, is is sort of coming back to your donor and putting your donor in the messages. So, you your donor actually wants to feel good being a part of the cause, and so it's actually helping. You need to think about the messages that help them feel happy or even heroic in some instances, um, um, yeah. so that you're increasing that commitment as well. I think as well, it's a balance, you know, you must work closely with the designers, with the photography that you have. One of the charities that I donate to is called Soy Dog, and it's a dog saving charity in Thailand. And they really, you know, obviously they've got the pictures of the dogs and they really speak for themselves. So they don't 
necessarily have to be too mawkish. But again, what they do very well is uh, talk about stories. You know, they tell the story of the animal and, you know, where it was, where it's now, and it's all uplifting. So, you know, they, they do explain the terrible things, but they focus on the positive and the future and the change that other donators have made, sure. you know, by their donations. And that then makes you think, wow, gosh, you know, I could achieve that too. So, exactly. yeah, I think that's empowering the donator and making the donator feel like a hero exactly. is, is super and look, being clever and humorous uh, are the other two tactics as well. So there are some great campaigns out there that are very witty and fun uh, and that have had, you know, great celebrities behind them as well. So we'd like to laugh, but laughing is an emotion as well as crying as well. Um, uh, so, you know, humour humor actually does work in some places, not all places, with, um, with charity campaigns. And a lot of the neuroscientists have done work into fundraising and how people respond to things and they talk a lot about decision making really is a process based on emotion of course so you know either making them laugh or making them cry is is kind of a proven formula i love that um we've got it's actually really closely linked to this question we got from kylie singh who's um in both kate and my communities um she's a copywriter and she's she asked how do you identify the personal outcome and value proposition for donors beyond making a difference and feeling virtuous which are two of the things you've already mentioned i mean are they the the big ticket items you just go for them uh, yeah, look, they are the big ticks, but also addressing a specific pro problem with a specific ask. So, so like Kate said before, talking about um, uh, the one that, you, that you've worked with, you know, if, it, if it's, let's say, if it's an animal shelter, you sort of start talking about, okay, if you su support our cause, you need to know that it costs $25 a month to feed a greyhound dog in an animal shelter or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then let me just sort of, you know, spread it out for you um, you know, here's something that we I want you to know. It might call, it might um, cost me 300 to feed a rescue dog for a year. Um, uh, maybe I can actually write a check. You know, I'm either going to write you a check right now for $15, or I'm going to go the whole hog and go $300. That's not much. That's okay. I understand the specific problem. I understand your very specific ask. Right. So it's going along those ways. So and sometimes it's also talking about looking at your donors um, and actually really focusing on what they care about, so that you can. Have help move them towards a happy ending um, so that giving becomes a reflection in the mirror of who they want to see. Um, I spent a lot of time talking with not-for-profits about this in terms of, so their donors, we know from data, their donors see themselves as compassionate, community-focused, committed, generous, you know, values-based, that sort of thing. So donors are open to persuasion if it um, fits an expression of who they are. Mm -hmm. So it's sometimes just really appealing to those base um basis, uh, I guess, beliefs of who we see in the mirror. Um, so there's a lot of donor segmentation and sort of looking at what matters or how people perceive themselves as well. It sounds like getting specific is also really important because if you just tackle these wibbly wobbly things of you can make a difference and you can feel good, it's not tangible because it's not detailed and concrete. So, so it sounds like you have to kind of, you have to imply that big payoff through concrete and specific details of how they're making a difference. Exactly. And things like statistics and figures, you know, um, are, are terrific at helping tell that story. And as Kate said earlier, storytelling, I mean, storytelling is so big in the not in the not-for-profit sector. We want to understand who is this person in the sleeping bag, what is her story, without completely 
making her feel compromised in her story and still helping her maintain that dignity. Um, what do you, you know, what is that story? Is that someone that I can relate to? Is that a person that might have been in my um, in my experience or, or my family as well? So people are very receptive to stories and understanding how to get to an ending that's, uh, you know, that makes you sleep well at night effectively. So you've got these sort of tools that you can use. You've got your statistics, your stories. Are there, are there any power words that you tap in? Do you have like a little swipe <laughs> file on your desktop of magic words that you know that if you drop in this word, it's going to going to make all the difference you're watching my me at work Kate I do (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do look there's there's a lot of the the big thing with not-for-profits with calls to actions and things like that is using action words so there's a lot of powerful and compelling words and verbs so things like change act fight transform, explore, all those sorts of words um, are very sort of, you know, well-used words um, and avoiding jargon at all costs as well. But it's good to have a sense of urgency in, in your messages. So creating that sense of urgency for your cause with a call to action really reaches the viewers more immediately. So words like now and today are really convenient options, of course. But then you've got um, action words and phrases that are, are, sh- are shown and known to convert. So things like keep me informed, make a donation, join the fight, um, impact a life, take action, become an ambassador, end something today, you know, fight something now. Those sorts of phrases are very uh, are used very well and, and people actually respond very well to clicking onto them, of course, to actually continue that cause. Um, or continue that commitment as well. So, and stuff like get involved, start today, save the save the pygmy possum, those sorts of things, sustain our mission. Um, people are very receptive to those words. Yeah, I can imagine save would be, a, you know, like again, empowering the, don- the donator, you know, that you're actually being a hero. I think that's uh, quite powerful. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yes, I do have a swipe file, I must admit. <laughs> I often sort of look and go, have I used that lately? <laughs> <laughs> And there's probably about 40 or so of them that are worth, you know, it's worth really keeping an eye on other campaigns and seeing what they use and sort of keeping them in your own file as well. A copywriter's toolkit, swipe files. You heard it here multiple times, everyone. <laughs> so we got this um, another question from Jessica who's actually a non-profit writer in the UK and um, she raised some ethical concerns um, and she was basically saying our unhelpful and dramatic stereotypes used too much and is there a responsibility not to overuse them? Definitely, um, absolutely. And look, sometimes in an effort to raise money and awareness for causes, um, organisations really do feel compelled to tell the stories of really desperate situations. They work nine times out of ten, but sometimes the well-intentioned efforts certainly can um, can sort of reduce a person and their problem. Um, and I think sometimes they're at risk of an organisation looking like they're becoming a saviour of an individual story. And, and you know, p- people have felt compromised in the past or have felt their, their dignity has been reduced um, by messages uh, or by being used um, for sort of what are essentially temporary goals. Um, I mean, it's a really difficult thing. Pity does raise money. It really does. Um, and people want to be convinced that they're the hero or a hero, not in all situations but often. So the, the bigger changes are that you're actually reducing someone uh, in that story. So there's a lot of talk. I go to a lot of conferences and, and events where we talk about 
how we maintain that dignity. I'm, I'm very lucky in the not-for-profits I work with in that uh, the people that I work with, they're very mindful of that. So there's a lot of discussion about, no, we don't want to use the photo of even, you know, that patient or that person in that situation. Um, we're not re we're branding them as a victim and we don't believe that's sort of just. So I think it's really good to keep having those um, conversations um, and it, it often comes Look, I often have that conversations at the creative stage with uh, essentially the photographer or the videographer as well. So it's 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 a fine line because stories are really compelling and they help help us picture what's being asked as well. And, and a dramatic message really does work and humanity responds. But, um, yeah, we, we've seen some doozy examples around the world that have actually a person has come out years later and said, you know, that branded me for quite some time. So I think there's a lot more... Um, anonymity in the messages now um, or sort of sometimes a generalisation of a message um, or a sort of general case study as well. Brilliant. Well, I think I've learned a lot about charity copywriting and I think, you know, I think it's useful to know that there is a formula. There are phrases you can use again and again. And, and, and I think as well, you know, just those simple ideas around storytelling and statistics are, are really powerful. You know, that just helps you break into it a little bit more because it's always seemed a bit of an intimidating area to get into for me. Um, yeah. That leads me to my kind of final question to wrap up the episode, which is as, uh, oh no, Bill's got another question as well. Sorry. Uh, what, what tips <laughs> would you have for copywriters to kind of break into charity copywriting? How would, how could they get started? Oh, probably the two are swipe and stalk. So like you guys are always heralding, of course, having swipe files. So keeping an eye on organisations that you really admire and starting to sort of um, compile or stockpile um, their campaigns and see how that evolves and flows and keeping track of it as well, seeing how engagement works, but also starting to sign up to newsletters of not-for-profits you do admire that you maybe think you might like to work with. Um, connect with them on LinkedIn, find out who their GMs are of the marketing and fundraising division or their CEO, um, uh, who their board members are, connect with them on LinkedIn or actually make a face-to-face -face connection. So I've found going to AGMs has worked very well for me because I've been able to make that face-to-face -face connection and it, it might have been a, a slow cook. You know, it might have been two years later that that client has come back to me but it's been worth it because they've been an established connection with me. A lot of the not-for-profits communication staff move around to other not-for-profits. So, they're quite committed to that area of um, their profession. So, once you've sort of established a connection, they often take you them with you to the next not-for-profit, which is very helpful as well. Um, and certainly, I think it's worth going, going to things like the odd not-for-profit free talk or even there's conferences around and signing up to sort of online newsletters that talk about not-for-profit communication is, is is a really good thing to do as well. But certainly, and I think one of the obvious ones is it doesn't hurt to volunteer for a not-for-profit. You feel great about it. You're involved at a hands-on level. Um, you're actually undertaking to, to make a difference while you're actually getting to know an organisation as well. So that's a pretty good way to, to get an in. And often you're volunteering next to the CEO or a board member who's doing their sort of service for the month or the year as well. Yeah, I found as well if you want to get in, you know, writing just for local charities, that they're so grateful if you're approached and usually, you know, there's maybe one or two people trying to do everything within that charity. And if you just come along and say, hey, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm happy to rewrite your website for 
for you. I'm happy to do it for free. Um, they'll be suspicious at first, but uh, then you know they'll be eternally grateful, and that will just build up your um, portfolio of smaller charities, which will help when you want to approach some of the larger ones. Absolutely. It's really worth doing. I've certainly done that myself many times. Just a quick question for you both. Have you ever had a charity go, what, what do you mean, our website copy? It's it's great. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> one of them seem to know when it's not their strength and they're very grateful for any help and uh, that they can get. So. Awesome. Well, to, to wrap up, um, I want to talk about resources. So you mentioned a Jeff, Jeff Brooks book, is that right? Yeah, Jeff Brooks is um, uh, he's written a book called um, Future Fundraising Now. Um, I think he last wrote it in, I think it was 2016 or something like that, but it's a really relevant um, uh, piece. And there's a guy, I love reading his stuff, um, Tom Ahern, um, who he has something called, um, uh, it was, I think his business is called Ahern Donor Communications or something like that. He writes some great pieces. And then there's stuff like in America there's, Charity Navigator, and that helps you determine where charities sit in the scale of income as well or, or, or donation pledges. Uh, and in Australia, there's things like the Pro Bono Australia, which I love, and another one called Our Community, which have a lot of resources and tools on their websites, and they're a great way of connecting. Even following them on their social media is really terrific to sort of immerse yourself in the language of not-for-profit and um, social enterprise speak. Um, so they're really great resources as well. Awesome. Well, we'll um, we'll pop some links to those um, in the show notes, and um, we'll also pop links to some of the examples like Soy Dog and Kiva that you, you ladies have mentioned. Yes. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much, Andrea, for sharing your knowledge about um, charity copywriting. I'm sure it's an area that many copywriters listening would love to get into, a lovely way of giving back. But as you said, you don't just have to give away your time. You can actually make a profitable career as a charity copywriter, which is good to know. So thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks. It's been really fun. Thanks, everyone. And as regular listeners will know, at this time, we usually read out a review of the show. And today, we're giving a shout out to Jodie Carey in the USA. And she says, this podcast has been great tips and tricks for copywriters. I listen at the gym during my working workouts and always come back to my desk inspired. Thank you for the great content. Uh, and for all of you listening, if you do like the show, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you heard this podcast. Your review will help others find us. And of course, we'll give you a shout out on the show. You can also head to hotcopypodcast.com and leave your comments on the blog post for this episode. If you have any extra questions, feel free to pop them there. And I'm sure Andrea wouldn't mind popping in and answering them for you as best she can. So thank you very much, Andrea and Belinda. Thanks, Kate and Belinda. Thank you, Kate and Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the Waltons at the end where they're like, bye, drama. And it's over to you. <laughs> Until next time, happy writing. Thanks for listening right to the end. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy my two other podcasts. I have one called The Recipe for SEO Success, which is all about SEO tips, advice, and helping you grapple the Google beast. And my other, The Confessions of a Misfit Entrepreneur, which is all about dealing with the stresses of running your own business. You can find both of them on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts.